Thank you for being here today. Welcome again to Freedom and to those of you who are joining us online. Welcome to Freedom Online. It's good to have you be a part of things. Uh, We are deep in a series right now. If you haven't been uh, here in recent weeks, uh, we are deep in a series entitled The Unseen War. I was thinking as I was listening to Butch sing that last song and how uh, the song references just how we're all broken. Uh, Sometimes we're really in touch with what's broken about us and how we got there and other times as butch said we don't know how we got broken we just know we're broken we just know how tangled up we are and sometimes our brokenness demonstrates itself through destructive behavior and sometimes we hide our brokenness pretty well and we can cover it beautifully on a sunday because in here we can just smile and nod and shake hands and say that we're doing great and hide the fact that we are just eaten up with fear or depression or anxiety or or guilt or shame or something that's just beating us up and holding us back all the time and I really do have a concern, a fear that we would as believers adopt a mindset that just only looks toward heaven for any hope. I mean like looks toward us getting to heaven as our hope for ever being any better. That a lot of times maybe we fall into the trap of thinking, I'm glad I know Jesus. He saved me so one day I can go to heaven and have a better life. And certainly life is going to be immeasurably better when we get to heaven. But that we would miss out on the realities of belonging to Jesus here and now. Jesus didn't arrive on earth and say repent so that one day you get to go be in the kingdom. He said repent, change how you think because the kingdom of God is at hand. It is here. It is arriving with me and I want you to get in on that. And I think so many times we don't live like the kingdom has come. We live like... Oh, I'll try and make it through another day, another week with all of my junk and all the junk around me. But one day Jesus will come back and life will be better. And I think so many times Jesus is saying, why don't you get on it now? I want you to have the good things now. I want to bring healing and deliverance and freedom in your life today. And that's what we want to get down to today and next week particularly. The things that you and I can do that really facilitate us moving into the presence of the Lord and experiencing His power to set us free from the things that have bound us and held us in really unhealthy places. I want you, as we begin today, to imagine something with me. We love to go to the mission field. We've been to a lot of different countries over the years. and I want you to imagine that you're a part of a medical mission team that goes to a, a really remote area of, say, Africa. We've been to places like what I'm about to describe in Africa where people are, are so far removed from everything that's modern that uh, they have no idea of, of many of the things that we just find commonplace today. So envision you're in the darkest parts of Africa. Africa or Asia or Indonesia, and you're coming in t- contact with a people group who have no real communication with the outside world. They have no concept of modern technology or modern medicine. And so as you're ministering in a particular little uh, village, you realize that the people there almost across the board are sick. They're just eaten up with all kinds of, of preventable diseases they they've they're just full of parasites and bacteria and junk primarily because of their way of life and because they don't know any better 
And as you spend a little bit of time there, you look around and realize where a lot of this is coming from, that they're all drinking from a stagnant well that's just toxic. It's just full of, of growing bacteria and stuff. And, and every day when they drink that, they're just making themselves sicker. And as you spend a couple of days there, you watch what's going on and you realize they have no concept of germs, of bacteria and viruses and parasites. They, they don't have any idea what those things are. And, and so their, their health practices reflect that. They don't wash their hands before they eat. They don't wash their food before they eat. They don't cook their food thoroughly before they eat it. They're, they're promiscuous and don't have any concept of, of any monogamous relationship or being uh, safe in, in regard to intimacy. And so there are just all of these different practices that they're engaged in where they're making themselves sick. And so you realize we, we need to help these people. And we not only need to tell them the good news of Jesus, we need to help them feel better and be better but in order to do that we're going to have to address two different things we're going to have to help them get rid of what is already in them because they are sick they feel it and so we're going to have to treat them with medicine so that we defeat what already is in them making them sick and that's sort of the easy part is to get rid of that but you realize that wouldn't really solve much because if all we did is treat what is already in them making them sick we would leave and a short time after we leave if we could check back in a few days weeks or months we'd find that they're just as sick again because the second problem is you've got to change your practices. You've got to close the door on some of these things that are bringing bad stuff into your life. And so you realize, I'm going to have to teach them about the five or six things that tend to open a door to, to keep making yourself sick. So you, you try and educate them about you, you're going to have to boil your water before you drink it or you're going to have to get it from a cleaner source. You're going to have to start washing your hands and washing your food and cooking your food. And you're going to have to stop just... You know, running off with any other man or any other woman you want to in the community because you're you're making yourself sick when you do these things. And so if you do these two things, if you'll take the treatment that we've prescribed for you, we can get out of you what's in you now. And then if you'll adopt these practices, we'll keep you at a place that those things won't get to come back in you. Are you following me? Now, that's all pretty simple and straightforward, isn't it? But can you imagine if you were that third world person listening to all of this, how bizarre and perplexing it would sound for the first time to hear that there are these things that, that we call them viruses and parasites and bacteria. Well, what are those? Well, you can't see them, but they're there. And if they get in you, they make you sick. That would seem strange, wouldn't it? What does it look like? I don't know. I've never seen one myself. You've never seen it yourself, but you're telling me you're an authority on that. Yep, that's exactly what I'm telling you. And you're telling me this thing that you've never seen, that you know how to get rid of, and it's what's making me sick, and you can get rid of it, and you can keep it from coming back. That's exactly what I'm telling you. It would sound a little peculiar if you were that third world person who'd never heard of this. This thing I can't see, and yet it affects me in such a big way. We all understand that reality. That's, that's just commonplace for us. I've told you again and again, because it's true, God will consistently show you a picture in the natural of an even more important reality of what takes place in the spiritual realm. And what I have just described for you is a picture in the natural 
of what we are having to right now embrace and deal with in the spiritual realm. Yeah, we have to deal with germs and bacteria and viruses, but those are small potatoes compared to the bigger invisible enemy that we have to deal with in the form of demons who are assigned to us, who seek to attach themselves to us and to make us sick, whether it's physically, emotionally, relationally, and keep us at a bad place for the rest of our lives. That's just reality. It's not not some archaic way of thinking about life and problems and, and sickness. It is just reality. You can't read through the Gospels and Acts, the narrative parts of the New Testament, And believe them as truth and fail to come to the conclusion that dealing with the demonic is just an everyday part of the Christian experience. It is. You have to put on blinders to miss how this is just, it's like it's on every page. This is just a part of dealing with life. And so today and next week, here's what we're going to do. We're going to address the two parts of the problem that I just shared in the illustration about if you went to the mission field. We've got a problem, many of us do, of something that's inside of us or attached to us that's making us sick. And we've got to get rid of that. We're going to deal with that next week. How do you get that gone? But today we're going to deal with the other half of that. How do we close the doors so that when something is removed, it doesn't get to come back? One without the other isn't going to do any good. Now, a lot of people have experienced what we're going to talk about next week, but they have failed to do what we're going to press into today, and so they didn't get any lasting relief. They might not have gotten any relief at all, because if you don't do what we're going to talk about today, there's really no lasting help for you. And today's the part that's really easy to skip, to want to run past or overlook, because it forces us to deal with our issues. The issues that become an open door for the enemy to come into our lives. So I want you to, if you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 11. We're going to read a short little narrative of uh, Jesus doing a little bit of deliverance ministry. And then uh, a short teaching that Jesus gives concerning that. One of the clearest teachings that he ever gave on this subject. Uh, We're going to pick up in Luke 11, beginning in verse 14, where Dr. Luke says... Now he, meaning Jesus, was driving out a demon that was mute. It's interesting how he worded that. It wasn't that the demon couldn't speak. It was a demon that rendered the person it was attached to unable to speak. Which, by the way, uh, when you get into a deliverance situation where you're pressing in, it's a very common tactic of the enemy. I've seen it multiple times where they'll just cause the person to not be able to speak at all. And so when the demon came out, the man who had been mute spoke, and the crowds were amazed. Apparently, he had had this demonic attachment for a long time, maybe for his entire life, for some number of years, long enough that everybody knew the dude can't talk, and nobody can help him, and suddenly he can speak. But some of them, some of the crowd said, he drives out demons by Beelzebul, the ruler of demons. Don't get hung up on that name. It's just, uh, it it is an archaic name for, uh, it was used in different ways by different cultures. Some used it as a name for the devil and some used it as as a, uh, they believed it was one of the seven ruling princes of the kingdom of darkness, which isn't a biblical concept either. But anyway, the bottom line is they were saying, you serve the devil and that's why you have authority over demons. But the others, as a test, were demanding of him a sign from heaven. 
Some were basically saying, that's a pretty good trick, but if you really are from God, then do some more tricks for us, and then we'll believe in you. Jesus was never into doing tricks. He was not out to do a dog and pony show. Verse 17, knowing their thoughts, Jesus told them, every kingdom divided against itself is headed for destruction, and a house divided against itself falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I drive out demons by Beelzebul, and if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons drive them out? For this reason, they will be your judges. Jesus is just using a little simple logic here. He says, how silly is this that you're accusing me of being from the devil because I run off the devil's minions? He said, that that doesn't make any sense at all. I mean, that would be a kingdom turning against itself and defeating itself. So what you're saying doesn't make any sense at all. And then he goes on a step further in verse 20 when he says, If I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. It's a pretty strong word. Jesus is always talking kingdom, by the way. If Jesus opens his mouth, he's going to talk kingdom talk. And he says, let's just get clear about this. I'm not running off demons because I am a chief demon. That wouldn't make any sense. But you can see that miraculous stuff is happening. And if miraculous stuff is happening because demons have been sent packing, then you can be assured of this. The kingdom of God just showed up in your village. Good news. Good news. Verse 21. And here's where Jesus really does deliver the good news for the day. Good news for us here now. He says, when a strong man, fully armed, guards his estate, guards his house, his possessions are secure. Now, let's be clear. He's using that as an analogy. He's not just talking about you keeping your house and your clothes and your money and your cars safe. No, he's talking about you being able to protect who you are and your family. And he's saying it is very possible for you to live in such a way that you are protected. But here's the other side of that same coin. Verse 22. But when one stronger than he attacks and overpowers him, he takes from him all his weapons that he trusted in and he divides up his plunder. This is a picture of spiritual defeat. This is a a picture of of demonic influence and control. What he's saying is, this person who thought that they were doing well, that they thought they were standing in their own strength, and that's essentially what they were doing, and a a stronger enemy comes along and realizes, you know, I, I can't defeat the power of God, but I absolutely can defeat someone who belongs to God, who tries to to do life in their own strength, and an enemy more powerful than us can come in and absolutely put us in bondage where we're no longer in control of our own thoughts and behavior in many instances. A picture of defeat. And then Jesus says what to me is the most striking thing of this whole encounter. In verse 23, he says, Anyone who is not with me is against me, and anyone who does not gather with me scatters. It's interesting how many times we'll love to just pluck one individual verse like this out of the scriptures. And because our primary purpose is to post on Facebook or, you know, to do something like that that's super spiritual, we'll just take a verse as if it has no context and throw it out there. As if it's just supposed to have meaning by itself. And we'll fail to recognize Jesus made that statement in a very specific context. He's doing deliverance ministry. 
He's answering questions about how he does deliverance ministry. And the next words out of his mouth are going to be very clear explanation about deliverance ministry. And in that context, he says, let's get clear about this. You are either with me in what I'm doing here today or you are against me. There is no middle ground. You don't get to be Switzerland. You know, Switzerland loved to just stand by and say, we'll just watch and see whether the Axis or the Allies win. And then we'll be with them. You don't get to be Switzerland. You don't get to be neutral. Jesus says, you either join me in this work or you are against me. And we don't like that, do we? I know, we're not going to admit we don't like that. But most of the folks I've been in church with all of my life don't like that. You know how I know that? Because we don't like talking about demons. We don't like talking about deliverance ministry. It sounds messy. It sounds messy because it is. At times, it's just downright gross. I wish we got to skip this. There are a lot of things in life that are gross. When you're raising kids, changing diapers is gross. Well, that doesn't give you a pass on it. I had my grandkids day before yesterday. It's been a while since I've changed a poopy diaper. Oh, it's gross. But I didn't get to just take a pass on it because it was unpleasant. It wasn't going to go away because I didn't like it. And it's the same way when we're dealing with these issues. There are lots of Christians who want to go, I'll just be glad when this series is over. I don't like talking about this stuff. Well, I don't just get a blessing preaching about it. There are happier things to think about. But here's the deal. I want you to be free. I want you to be healthy. I want you to have a covering that you provide for your family. I don't want to continue to watch Christians who are blood-bought, empowered by the Spirit of God, walking and living in bondage because we're too busy going, I just don't like that. I don't think I want to think about that. I think I'll just do a devotional on love and friendship. Well, good luck getting free just doing devotions on love and friendship. It won't get you there. Jesus said, I'm sorry, but you've got to understand, I have a kingdom agenda. My kingdom has arrived on earth. It has a tiny beachhead. It is in Palestine in the first century. But it's not going to stay here. It's going to march forward. It's going to move forward. It's going to move forward forcibly because at every turn, we're going to have to push back the kingdom of darkness. And you're either with me or you're against me, but you can't take a middle ground and say, I think I'm just going to go to church and be in a Bible study and call it good. No. This is a conflict. There is an enemy who hates you and he's not randomly just, you know, waiting for Halloween so he can pop out from behind a bush and go, boo, hope I scared you. He's wicked. He's powerful. He's massive in number. And they have an organized plan for your destruction. But you don't have to live in fear of or in bondage to them. And so now Jesus goes on and he says, when an unclean spirit, that is a demonic spirit, comes out of a person, it roams through waterless places looking for rest and not finding rest. It then says, I'll go back to the house that I came from. He doesn't mean literally a house. He's talking about going back to a host. It was cast out of a person. It's going to want to come back to that person. Boy, just that statement alone begs all kinds of questions. It, it goes through waterless regions looking for rest and it knows it can't find rest. Why? Because in the kingdom of darkness there's a hierarchy. There are assignments. 
And that kingdom is run through tyranny and cruelty. And they know they had better fulfill what their assignment is. And when they have been cast out of the person that they were assigned to oppress and attack and pull down, there's no rest for them. They long to get back and do what they were told to do because they know they're going to suffer if they don't. And so what do they do when they've been cast out? After a time, they try and come back. In verse 25, returning, it finds the house swept and put in order. And then it goes and it brings seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and they settle down there. And as a result, that person's last condition is worse than the first. Interesting picture. The enemy is going to come back and he's going to look to see if the door is still open and he's going to bring reinforcements. Interesting wording. And if he finds that there's still an open door, a legal right to come back in, he's going to bring reinforcements. And what's the first thing he's going to do? They're just going to settle in. They're just going to take up residence there again. Doesn't say they're going to run wild yet. They're just going to get back in place and wait for the right time. And when it's all finished, when it's all said and done, they will take that person to a worse place than they've ever been before. And I would say to you this morning, every person in the room, listening and watching online, every person has watched the reality Jesus just described many times over. You've seen this happen. A person who has, has had an ongoing problem. And for a while they thought they could manage it. I've just got a little bit of an alcohol issue. I've just got a little thing of needing pills. I've just, I've just got a little too much sex drive. I've just, I just enjoy looking at stuff on the computer or having these flirtatious relationships with somebody other than my spouse. And for a while we convince ourselves that it's a, an issue that we can control right up until that day that you hit rock bottom. Or maybe you're not at rock bottom yet. You just get in deep trouble. You're drinking or your pills get you to the point that you lose your job as a result. Or your flirtatious behavior goes beyond flirting and then you get caught in an affair and suddenly you realize you're about to lose your spouse and your kids. You get busted with your little you know, closet porn thing and suddenly it's all out in the open and you realize I may lose my family over this thing. And in that aha moment or a hundred others like it, that's the moment that we go, oh no, I think I do have a problem. I think I'll run to the church. I'll get some help. John, Sally, what time to celebrate recovery meet? I think I need to get a dose of that and we'll run for help. And if we're fortunate enough... Somebody really does begin to speak truth and helps us to realize the nature of the problem and, and that there's probably a spiritual component. And turns out there is because when I get, begin to get a little honest, I realize I don't even have control of my own behavior, what I'm thinking and what I'm doing. I'm not even really in control of that. And so somebody begins to pray for me and over me and take authority and suddenly something is gone and I feel different. I feel clean. I feel free for the first time. And it's, whoo, praise Jesus. I, I, I've defeated this. I'm all better now. I'm going to come to celebrate recovery a few times though just to let you all know how good I'm doing. I'm not going to work those steps or anything because I don't really need them now. 
See, I don't even have that temptation anymore. I don't need it, but I'm going to come to your meetings because I just want you to know how good I'm doing. I'm going to come to church on Sunday morning and just give praise to Jesus because I'm free now. But I don't actually take the steps of beginning to press in on a daily basis into a personal relationship with Christ. I don't actually get a sponsor. I don't work the steps and work a biblical plan for dealing with my stuff. I don't begin to engage daily in spiritual warfare prayer, protecting myself and my family. But I'm just doing so good. I'm free. I don't even feel tempted by that stuff anymore. And I just rock right on, never recognizing the day that the enemy silently came back and said, Well, yippee, the house is all clean and back in order. Now I've just got myself a church-going target. A target that goes to celebrate recovery. The victory will be that much sweeter. They go to Freedom Church. It's in the name that they're free. And the enemy comes back with reinforcements and he just settles right back in. Let's you think you are just doing great on top of the world. Until that day that you are most vulnerable and suddenly the wheels come off. And sometimes that comes in in the form of the same old behavior that you were into before. And you just totally fall off the wagon in that regard. But here's the real shocker. Half the time, it comes in a completely different form. Why? Because one, you're now exerting all your willpower to defeat that problem. Sometimes that will get you by for a while. But you know why the, a new problem surfaces many times? Because that spirit brought seven more spirits more evil than himself, and they had different names. They have different assignments. And lo and behold, I, I'm not drinking I'm not even tempted by that anymore, but boy, lust is suddenly an overwhelming issue. Anger suddenly is out of control, and I didn't even have a temper problem before. Suddenly there are new problems that arise, and my life is a bigger wreck than it was before I ever got set free. How did I get here? I'll tell you how we got there. We got there because somebody else did for us. The beautiful thing of getting out of us what was in us or what was attached to us. But we didn't press in and connect with Christ on a daily basis and close the doors and deal with the enemy on a daily basis. And the condition at the end was worse than it was in the beginning. Now you don't have to be afraid of what I'm talking about. Because nobody here has to go down that road. Jesus spoke these words not to be a discouragement, but to just say, this is the reality of what will happen if you don't embrace what I'm teaching you to do. So I want to just very quickly mention to you three basic truths from this teaching and then get down to the business of identifying the doors that need to be closed and how we do it. The first truth is this, deliverance ministry is a fundamental work in the kingdom of God. It is a foundational issue and we've got to practice it. In verse 20, Jesus said, if I'm casting out demons by the power of God, then the kingdom of God has arrived among you. Where the kingdom of God comes, deliverance ministry has to come with it. 
Jesus as he's about to depart the disciples and return to heaven says in Mark 16:17 these miraculous signs will accompany those who believe first of all they will cast out demons in my name now he had other things to say a short list but it's just interesting that when he said you want to know what you can expect and look for in the life of somebody who becomes a child of God they are going to cast out demons in my name isn't that an interesting place for Jesus to start I know none of us are fired up at this point right now. We're just kind of going, where is this going? It's going where you think it's going. We've all got to embrace this as a fundamental part of our life and our ministry. We are in the the middle of a conflict between two kingdoms. And if you're a part of the kingdom of, of light, the kingdom of God, you've got to be engaged in getting rid of the enemy. Second truth, it is possible to live in such a way that we avoid demonic control or attachment. Somebody say, Amen. Jesus said, when a strong man with many weapons guards his own house, the things in his house are safe. That's the beauty of what we're talking about. You put into practice what we'll talk about today and next week, you can ensure that you live in a secure place and that you do everything possible to keep your family in a secure place, those under your spiritual authority. John said in 1 John 5, 18, We know that God's children do not make a practice of sinning, for God's Son holds them securely, and the evil one cannot touch them. Now, it would be easy to read that and go, well, wait a minute, doesn't that mean we don't have to worry about demons? And No, it doesn't. Because we don't consistently live out the first part of that passage. The more we learn to walk in obedience, the more we keep the doors closed and the enemy can't get to us. But... Because of what you'll see today are the the major open doors that we create. We do have to deal with the enemy. When we learn to walk in obedience and we learn to close these doors, the enemy's not going to be able to come in and create strongholds. The third truth is this. Demons are always looking for lives that are vulnerable to attack or attachment. The, The story that Jesus told at the end, that's what it's about. The enemy has assignments. He's always looking for an opportunity to get back into our lives, into our family, to gain influence. So, what I want to do in the last few minutes that we've got together today is this. I want to share with you the five most common entry points for the enemy to come into our lives so that we can now take the steps to close all of those doors. These are not the only ones, but these are the big five. So, first of all, if you want to follow along in your outline... The first one is truly the number one that that Christians will leave as an open door for the enemy, and that is through unforgiveness or lingering anger. Of all the things that will trip us up, this will do it for more people than anything else. We get hurt, we get done wrong, and we won't let it go, and we won't forgive, and that is a legal right for the enemy to come in and set up camp. Paul said in Ephesians 4, Don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. Let me say that again. Anger gives a foothold to the devil. And the devil wants to turn a foothold into a stronghold. It's not a sin to get mad. Jesus got mad lots of times, especially when he was around religious people. They ticked him off. They did. I mean, he got mad a bunch. But it was righteous anger and he didn't carry it around as smoldering resentment and bitterness. He would deal with it. He would, he would appropriately give voice to it and deal with the issues. Paul goes on to say in that same chapter, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander. But they don't deserve to be forgiven. 
doesn't have anything to do with what they deserve. Do you want to be free? Do you want to be protected? Second most common entry point is through lingering personal unconfessed sin. This is the obvious one. Does this mean that every time I sin a demon comes in my life? No, it doesn't mean that. But it does mean while I have unconfessed sin in my life, there's a door or window or something. You know, there's an opening for the enemy to access. And so I want to be quick to make sure that I keep short accounts with God. Any lifestyle issue that we've just made an excuse for ourselves, this is just how I am, well, that just becomes a continuous open door for us. Number three, through generational curses, demons pass down from one generation to the next. We hate talking about this. We hate thinking about it because it's so unfair. But understand, evil isn't interested in fair. Evil just wants to exploit every opportunity available to it. And this, within the, the way that God has established order in the world, this is a legal right. Now understand, there are two sides to, to what God has established here. You have the power to bless the generations that come after you. There are so many things that they can inherit from you that will just bring nothing but blessing. Because of a heritage of faith. God... God ties us together. Eastern minds get this. Western minds like ours, we struggle with this. Because we think in terms of rugged individuality. My life is all about me and the choices that I make. We want to think it's that way and it's not. You belong to a community. You belong to a family. You you belong with lots of other people. And you experience the good and bad that goes with that. And we don't want to think that's the case. We want to think my life is what I make of it. Only a fraction of it is. So much of what you experience is because of who you are connected with. And your family, your ancestral line, and those who come after you are a big part of what you experience for good or for bad. When someone in your family line, parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, did something that allowed the enemy into the family line, there are certain spirits who will seek to exploit that, and they will literally pass from one generation to the next until somebody comes along and realizes something needs to be confessed, something needs to be confronted and dealt with. It's not complicated. It's not lengthy. You deal with it. You sever that line, and suddenly now you have created protection and blessing for all the generations that follow you. You've cut that off. But first, you've got to realize, I may have been on the receiving end of that. And you may never know what the entry point was. It doesn't really matter most of the time. But you may have to to address that issue. It's a biblical concept for us to confess the sins of our ancestors. Nehemiah models this for us. Daniel models this for us. Confessing not just our sins, but the sins of those who go before us. It's not something you do on a daily or weekly basis. But there's a point in time where we need to be willing to do that and remove any spiritual linking, any rights that the enemy has, any claims against us and our family line, and just declare in Jesus' name, the sins of my ancestors are under the blood. We trust Christ's work on the cross of Calvary to provide forgiveness and now we stand under that and those sins are atoned for so we now remove that right and command those spirits they have to leave so generational curses become a part of the equation understanding that the sin of one generation truly can uncover the next and the next 
several different passages speak to this, but it, it's it's really what explains what the scriptures are referring to in places like Numbers fourteen eighteen, where it says, "The Lord is slow to anger and filled with unfailing love, forgiving every kind of sin and rebellion, but He does not excuse the guilty." He lays the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even the children in the third and fourth generations. Now, again, if you just read that out of context, if you didn't know anything about God, it would be easy to come to the conclusion, he's a cruel guy. He'll take one person's failures and say, yeah, I'm going to find their kids and their grandkids and their great-grandkids, and I'm going to make them miserable for what this one person did. That is not the God of Scripture. Absolutely it is not. But what passages like this remind us is God has created a world in which there is suffering. There are consequences that will follow the sins of an ancestor until it's dealt with. Thank goodness we live in a time where the blood of Jesus is sufficient to sever that and to remove the curse. But he is acknowledging there is suffering that comes as a result. And that suffering comes through generational curses, demonic spirits that get passed down the line. And usually when they are passed, is at the point of of birth or conception or at the point of somebody's death. There can be other times, but in my experience, that, that has been the most common one. And most of us are going to have moments in our lives when we are there at the at the bedside of a dying loved one. You better be spiritually prepared for that moment. Because if there's a spiritual attachment there, that demon doesn't go to the grave with that person. They have a new assignment the moment that person breathes their last. And they are hoping that a generational curse is in place that they get to just go, I have a new home. I have a new assignment. Number four. Through unhealthy soul ties, often operating as a result of trauma, abuse, rejection, or sexual involvement. I don't have a lot of time to unpack this, and if I did, you probably wouldn't be a whole lot clearer on it, because it's just, it is the most vague of the five that I'll mention to you, but understand it's just very real. Understand that you are more than a body, you are more than a mind. You reflect the trinity that is the God that we know. One One God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You are body, soul, and spirit. When you connect with another person, you don't just relate to them in a physical way. You can relate emotionally. You you actually can make a deep spiritual connection to a person. It's what Jesus is talking about when he quotes Genesis and says, For this reason shall a man leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two become one. He's not just talking about physical union. He is talking about this deeply spiritual thing that happens between a man and a woman. In Hebrew, in the Old Testament, the word that is used for what happens when a man and a woman come together is the same word that's used for intimate worship between a man or woman and God. A deep spiritual connection. Humans are capable of a connection that is beyond just, Hi, how are you doing? I know you in a natural way. Where there is a deep connection. And that connection actually becomes a connection that allows for blessing. But it also allows for a spiritual curse to be passed along. Now the fastest way to get in on the bad side of that is through physical union with somebody else. God intended for that to be shared only in a marriage, and that way that thing is protected, and you're opening yourself up only to another believer. 
But, I mean, it's guaranteed. You sleep around, you've got all kinds of doggy doors for the enemy to come through in your life because you've created a soul tie to all these other men or women that you've ever been with. And you've got to go back now and sever those. You've got to name them. You've got to confess them and put them under the blood and declare that that's revoked and removed in order for that to be freed up. Otherwise... You've got spirits that come and go in your life that you're going, I don't even know why. At times I'm doing good, and at other times I'm just in a bad, bad place. I can tell you why. It's like a little doggy door in your house. They just just come and go. There is no lock on that door because there's a soul tie. It can happen through sexual acting out, but it also can be the result of deep ties that we share with people, particularly people who may have traumatized us along the way or, or hurt us deeply. Those have to be removed and revoked. It's not a complicated thing. Fifth and finally, the last doorway I mentioned comes through dabbling with the occult. It's disturbing to realize how many church-going Christians at some point along the way have played around with this. Tarot cards, fortune-telling, seances, Ouija boards, channeling. Just, I mean, you know the list. All the different ways that we just just want to... Just play around with that. See if there's anything to it. See if you can learn anything from it. But it didn't hurt anything because I didn't really believe in it. The enemy loves for us to feel like that. He doesn't care whether you believe in it. In fact, he loves for you not to believe in it because then you think, well, it can't do any harm. The moment we dabble in that... We take ourselves out from under God's covering, and we have now given a legal right to the enemy. And you may say, well, it was 20 years ago when I ever did that. Have you ever confessed it and revoked any rights that the enemy had through that? Because I assure you, there's no expiration on legal rights for the demonic. I've ministered to people who it has been decades since they dabbled in that. And they had no idea. And then when we pressed in in warfare, spirits would manifest themselves, I mean, very visibly and audibly. They'd been there having a heyday. And the person never realized their right has been in place all this time. You, you can make them leave, but they get to come back because you've never gone back and confessed that and removed that right. The Lord speaks so clearly multiple times to this issue. Leviticus 19.31, he says, Do not go to mediums or wizards for advice. Other translations say to those who consult the dead for advice. They'll only make you unclean. I am the Lord your God. I will be against anyone who goes to mediums and wizards for advice. God takes this stuff really, really seriously. Okay, so now you think about these possible open doors. I I could have an open door because I'm harboring anger and unforgiveness or because of an ongoing sin that I'm I'm not dealing with, that I'm not confessing and trying to to turn from or because of a generational curse or because of a a soul tie or maybe I dabbled in something just, just once a long time ago. What do I do if I recognize any of these things? May have been a part of my past or present. Five things we do to close doors and remove rights. First of all, ask God to reveal all areas of darkness and spiritual uncleanness. Realize this. There's a good chance if the enemy has a connection, has an attachment in your life or a stronghold, you may not have any conscious awareness that that's what's going on. You just may feel pain or anxiety or stress or see your own acting out, but have no awareness of the enemy. You may not be aware of stuff in your own heart. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The human heart's the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? So we just need God to show us. Or 
I need to show you if I've got unconfessed sin. I need you to show me if I have attachments that need to be broken in my life. Pray the prayer of David in Psalm 139. God, examine me and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any bad thing in me. You may need to press in on that for a season, just asking God to give you clarity. Number two, it goes right with that. Confess and repent of your sins and receive God's forgiveness. This doesn't mean you suddenly lead a perfect life. It just means we're going to stay current with God. When we realize somewhere that we're screwing up, that we don't just go, oh, well, the grace of God will cover that. It's just how I'm going to be. And, and here's where the rubber meets the road, and probably most of us get uncomfortable with some issue. We don't get to write ourselves an excuse for anything just because it's our pet thing that we like to do. For the person who just says, well, yeah, I do love to do the bounce on women every time I see them and and undress them with my eyes. But, you know, I mean, God just knows. He's the one that put that in me. So we just give ourselves an excuse to think lustful thoughts. Yep, if you do that, you just open yourself up constantly to the enemy. Yes, I like to talk about people, but I mean, everybody's got something that they do. You just wrote yourself an excuse for gossip. You're keeping yourself open to the enemy. It doesn't mean you'll never gossip again, but it means you call it what it is. You acknowledge it and you ask God for grace. Oh, Lord, I just realized I said something about somebody that was to tear them down behind their back. And I know that's wrong. I confess it. God, please help me not to do that again. Amen. I know I've got a potty mouth. I know I shouldn't talk like that. Isn't it amazing how American Christians will confess our sins before we commit them? I know I ought not to, but it's just who I am. I just, I just like to use those, those little words. God, God understands and he forgives me. Yes, he does forgive when we confess it. But we keep a door open to the enemy until we, we seek to begin to turn from it and repent of it, whatever it is. So in the, the line of confessing and repenting, bear in mind... For most of us, there needs to be a point in time where we confess and renounce ancestral sins so that any generational curse is removed. Where we need to confess, renounce, and sever any unhealthy soul ties. It's not complicated, but we've got to take the time to do that. We've got to be willing, if we've ever engaged, to confess and repent of any dabbling in the occult so those rights are removed. It may mean that you have to as a part of your healing, that you may need to find another believer who you can really trust that you'll confess your issue to as a part of, of experiencing healing and deliverance. But confession and repentance. And now the last three that I'll mention all come under the heading of forgiveness. I said unforgiveness is the biggest doorway. There are three aspects of getting past unforgiveness. The first one is this. You've got to be willing to forgive those who've hurt you. That's the obvious one. You can't wait until they deserve it. You've just got to release them into the hands of God. What does that even mean, by the way, to forgive somebody who doesn't deserve to be forgiven? What if they're not sorry? Everything in you wants to not forgive, doesn't it, when, when they're not sorry? It's like, well, God doesn't forgive me unless I'm sorry, does he? Here's the thing. Forgiveness doesn't mean the other person doesn't answer for what they've done. It doesn't mean that you can't confront them. It doesn't mean that the issue can't be dealt with. It means I entrust them into God's hands so that if there's punishment that's needed, God gets to punish. God is the just judge, and I trust him to be God. 
and I let go of that. So what's my part in that? It means I don't get to keep replaying the tapes so that I stay a little fueled up and fired up about it. I remember what you did, and I'm not going to let it go. And in my mind, I'm going to wait for the opportunity to hurt you, even if it just means by me not ever calling you or ever talking to you. I'm going to be passive-aggressive in inflicting my pain on you. It's that same old thing. It's me taking a little dose of poison every day trying to make you sick by me taking poison. That's what anger and unforgiveness are. Me taking poison and thinking it's going to hurt you. So we we begin by forgiving others. But the, the next piece, you've got to choose to forgive yourself. And in my experience ministering with people... Even in my own life, it's easier to forgive others than it is to forgive yourself, isn't it? This may be the toughest thing we deal with today. Remember, we're trying to remove legal rights of the enemy. Any form of unforgiveness is a legal right for the enemy to be attached. And we don't think in those terms when it comes to the demonic and their their influence. If you cannot forgive yourself... You keep yourself open to demonic influence and attack. I know that there are people here today, people watching and listening, who have not forgiven yourselves for what you've done. You feel like your sin is bigger and uglier and more unforgivable than the people around you. You just don't understand. I killed my baby before it was born. I cheated on the person who loves me most. I'm the reason my marriage ended. I'm the one who did this, did this, did this. I don't deserve to be forgiven. Praise God. It's not about what you deserve. It is about a good, perfect God looking at us and saying, I understand and I love you and I completely erase the slate. We're not playing pretend. There are some people here today, you need to hear this from the Lord. It is God speaking to you today, declaring, I forgive you. You must let go and forgive yourself. Some people who think, but I I need to punish myself. I need to be punished for what I've done so that I won't do it again. That is a lie from the pits of hell. Revelation says it's the devil, the accuser of the brethren who accuses us day and night. Who says you don't deserve to be forgiven. God is your father and a father is grieved when his children suffer. When we inflict pain on ourselves because we won't forgive ourselves. We're just harming us and the people closest to us and we're keeping our lives open to the attacks of the enemy. And then the fifth and final piece, the fifth and final step that we take is, for some of us, you've got to be willing to forgive God. That almost sounds jacked up just saying it, doesn't it? But yes, you've got to be willing to forgive God. Well, God's perfect. God never messes up. How could you need to forgive God? I'm just saying in practical terms, with what some have been through, and you prayed for God To not let it turn out that way. You prayed for God to take it away. You prayed for God to heal it. You prayed for God to spare your loved one. All of this suffering. You prayed for this to be resolved. You know God has the power to do it. And he didn't do it. And so either he doesn't care. Or he's unkind. 
or he just doesn't like you. Those are the kinds of conclusions that we come to. And so we harbor something in our hearts toward God. I don't appreciate it. He could have intervened. He could have fixed this situation and he didn't do it and I don't get why. And so we have unforgiveness toward God. And we have to be willing to get to a place of saying, I don't understand why. I know he could have. And for some reason he didn't. And we've got to be willing to say, God, I don't understand. But I choose to let it go. I choose to believe and trust that you are good and that you love me and that you love the people that I care about. And I let go of that thing that I've held against you. It's not always easy, is it? A lot of what we just talked about isn't easy, but it's worth it. Do you want to be free? Do you want to walk in freedom and with real healing? I'm telling you some of the things that we've touched on today is going to be tempting to go, I don't want to deal with that right now. Do you want to be free from what has tormented you the most in your life? Then realize there is likely a connection between your greatest suffering and the thing that you least want to have to deal with today that you just heard about. That thing that you're just going, I I don't want to go there. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to talk about it. You better connect the dots. Jesus came so that you could be free. Would you join me as we turn to him together in prayer right now? Lord Jesus, thank you that you are so good. There's so much we don't understand about life and what happens. Sometimes it really gets confusing to understand how a good God could be in control and yet life seems so crazy. But we do know you are good, that you love us and you work for our good. And today we turn to you. We realize that there's no help or hope for us apart from you. And so we ask you today to come and to fill our lives with your goodness and your presence. Hi. Thanks so much for taking time to tune in and listen to the message today through Freedom Online. We would love the opportunity to meet you personally any time that you're in our area. But if today you heard something that really connected or that maybe you've got questions about, you'd like to talk with somebody or have someone pray with you, we'd love to hear back from you. You can reach us in a couple of different ways. You'll find on the website a contacts link. You can contact me or any member of our leadership directly. Or you can call us at the number that you see on the website or at the bottom of the screen now. Thanks again for tuning in, and we hope that you have a great week.